Congregation, the scripture reading this morning is Ezra chapter 8, and then we'll also read in connection with that Revelation 18, the first eight verses. So Ezra chapter 8, first of all, this is the word of God. These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Itamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males. Of the sons of Patak Moab, Elioenai, the son of Zariah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jehaziel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Adin, Abed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jael, and with him 218 males. Of the sons of Shalometh, Ben Josepha, and with him 160 males. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of, the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonicum, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 males. Also of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and with them 70 males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders. Also for Joyarib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place Kasipha. And I told them what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim at the place Kasipha, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us because the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him but his power and wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated ourselves, and so we fasted and entreated our God for this, and He answered our prayer. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, 
and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes in all Israel who were present had offered, I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a thousand drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, the articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were lifted, were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, with the number and the weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats, as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Then we turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, the first eight verses. And there we read the following. After these things... I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will, see, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. 
and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. So far the scripture reading, the text for the sermon this morning is Ezra chapter 8 verse 21 where Ezra the priest writes the following, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, sh I'm sure that pretty well everybody here has made some trips over the past year. Maybe, even you, maybe you've even been out of country for a time. And when you go on a trip, you have to say goodbye to people you leave behind because traveling also always has its dangers, right? All kinds of things can happen on the, on the way, and so you pray for safe travels. Well, today we see how Ezra the priest is about to make a, a long trip with a large group of people, around 6,000 people. And the names of 1,496 men are mentioned in the first verses of Ezra 8. All those names. Now, if each man mentioned there with their male descendants, if each man there mentioned there had a wife and one child and one servant, you could conservatively end up with around 6,000 people in total. Men, women, children, servants. And the trip they were about to make was from Babylon to Jerusalem, the return to Jerusalem. And it was a long journey. It was around 1,300 kilometers, something like from here to Thunder Bay. And with all their belongings and most people on foot, they just had some donkeys and horses with them. It was a journey that would take around four months and through present-day Iraq and Syria, which were pretty dangerous places already in those days. Still are, but then they were too. So before that whole group moves out, the leader, Ezra, calls for a day of prayer and fasting. Before you travel, I'm sure you also pray about your travels. And that's what they do here a day of prayer and fasting on the river. And we'll pay attention on the last Sunday of this year to that day of prayer at the river and what that means for us today. And I preach to you the word about the prayer at the river Ahava. That's the theme. And we'll consider three things about that prayer. First, who prayed. Secondly, what they prayed. And thirdly, how they prayed. So first of all, who prayed. To understand something about who prayed at the river in our text, we have to know more about the context of what was going on there at the time. What kind of journey was this? We sometimes travel great distances too, maybe to, to Europe or Australia for vacation, for work, visiting. But the journey which was prayed about in the text was different, was very special. Consider when this journey took place. By the year 587 before Christ, Jerusalem and the temple had been completely destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and the Jews in Palestine had pretty well all been either killed or taken away into exile to Babylon. 
But then around 50 years later, a new king, Cyrus, a Persian king, sent a large group of the exiles back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel to build the temple of the Lord there. And 25 years later, that temple was finally finished, completed. And at the time of our text, we're 60 years later after the temple had been rebuilt already. So more than a generation later, the children and grandchildren of those who had returned from the exile with Zerubbabel had grown up around the temple. And the thing is, after one generation, they had become used to the temple worship and they lost their reverence and wonder at what the temple represented among them. And the zeal for the worship of the Lord had cooled down considerably. The temple stood there, but the regular sacrifices didn't take place anymore. The priests were no longer properly supported, and the upkeep of the temple had been neglected. But now Ezra, who was a priest of the Levitical family, he was moved by the Spirit of God to want to go to Jerusalem to restore the worship and service of the Lord in the temple again. Wanted to go there to revive the people so they once again saw the wonder of God's mercy and faithfulness to, through the, the temple worship in Jerusalem. And he wanted to teach them the commandments and the statutes of the Lord from the books of Moses. Ezra's parents had remained in Babylon when Zerubbabel had returned with the other exiles some 75 years before, but Ezra was, was incited by the Lord to return at that time. And those 6,000 people had the same desire to seek the good for Jerusalem. Once they knew that Ezra wanted to go back, all these people joined up with him to leave Babylon and make the long, dangerous journey back to the land of promise to reform the worship in the temple and to prepare the covenant people for the coming of the messianic king, the Messiah and his kingdom. So they gathered there to go back. And brothers and sisters, let me ask you, if that would have been today, if you would have been there at that time, for instance, would you have been one of those people, one of those exiles in Babylon who had the desire to return to Jerusalem to worship there and prepare for the coming of the promised Messiah? Would you have been one of them? Think, those people had to leave behind their lives and everything they had built up there in Babylon in order to go back to Jerusalem. They had to leave it all behind. And if you think about it, that was probably quite something. There was most likely somebody who had built up a nice business there in Babylon. And maybe a young fellow who had finished his apprentice training and who had found a good paying job had to leave it behind. Quite possibly a young lady who had a 
just begun a relationship with a young man, but he was not interested in leaving his nice life in Babylon to travel all the way to Jerusalem to start a new life with her in the shadow of the Lord's temple. Maybe, and maybe there was an older couple whose children said, we have it so good here, why would we make that long, hard journey to Jerusalem and start from scratch over there? We're staying. And the old folks had to leave their children behind. Just put yourselves into the shoes of those people at the Ahava River. Would you have joined them for the journey to Jerusalem if you had lived at that time? And think then in the context of what the Lord Jesus said one time. Don't be anxious about food and clothing and so on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Would the kingdom of God and his righteousness have gone before your business, your job, your family, your friends, your relationships? Seek first the kingdom of God, the good and the future of his kingdom. Would you have gone along? I know one person who would have wholeheartedly gone along at the time, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, if he had lived then. And I know that because of what we just celebrated with Christmas. He gave up all the glory he had with his Father in heaven from eternity already, and he came to this broken earth to be born man and gave up all that glory for the sake of the name and the kingdom of God. Zeal for God's house consumed him. He humbled himself and even descended into hell and gave himself over to death, all for the sake of his Father's name and house and kingdom, so that the Father's kingdom might be filled with people from all nations and tongues forever. And he sent his Spirit so that sinners would not only be forgiven, but so that they would also follow him in putting the glory and the kingdom of God before family, fields, possessions, or even their own lives, so that they would be willing to leave the world without God, which was represented by Babylon, and follow him to the new Jerusalem, where God lives and is all in all. And you see, brothers and sisters, I mentioned that because there's a gathering for a journey today, too. There's still a gathering for a journey. A journey to the new Jerusalem. We're called to go that direction. Are you one of those who are gathering for the long journey to the new Jerusalem? Or would you rather stay behind here in Babylon, the world without God? where you can live comfortably without any hindrances or sacrifices. Think about it. In Babylon, in the world around us without God, one's career, one's happiness, one's financial success, one's relationships are all number one. People who love Babylon aren't willing to give up anything for the kingdom of God. They don't realize that Babylon is destined to fall. We read about that in Revelation 18. Babylon, which portrays the world that lives without God in that chapter, the whole culture of unbelief will sink away under God's righteous and eternal judgment. It's going under. 
and whoever seeks to save his or her life in that place will lose it. But whoever seeks his or her own life's happiness and success without God will lose their life forever. But whoever seeks it in Christ, looks forward to the new Jerusalem, will save his life. Congregation, as we stand on the brink of a new year, so many people are anxious about the future of the economy and the future of our Western society and culture and about climate change and the future of life itself on earth. But the Bible shows us that Babylon is going to fall and only Jerusalem really has a future. Only the kingdom and the people of God truly have a future an eternal future even, even. And that's something we all need to lock into our hearts and minds. And then our biggest concern in life will not be the financial progress of my family, but how is it with God's name in my family? Is God being honored in my family? And sure, your business and farm will be important to you, but the progress of God's kingdom will ultimately be your focus, your greatest interest. And it's not your investments which will be first and foremost to you, which you can worry about, but the well-being of God's church. See, those were the kind of people who prayed there by the bank of the river Ahava with Ezra. People focused on going to Jerusalem People whose biggest interest was the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And think again, would you have been there at the bank of the river too? Are you letting yourself be gathered for the trip to the new Jerusalem? We come to the second part of the sermon. What they prayed. We've seen then who, who, who prayed. Let's, let's pay attention to what they prayed. We're told in Ezra 8 that Ezra proclaimed a day of fasting in order to pray to the Lord. And the text describes what they would pray for. Their prayer was to seek from God the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions, it says. The right way. Actually, the original language, the Aramaic, says that they asked for a straight way. Straight way. And that doesn't mean a direct journey across the desert and mountains from Babylon to Jerusalem. No, in order to get to Jerusalem, those Jews would first have to travel north, and then they had to go west, and then south again. They had to make a huge arc above the Arabian desert and through present-day Iraq and Syria and Lebanon in order to get to Jerusalem. And that was, as we mentioned before, a long and arduous and dangerous journey. I remember that there were children and most likely older people among them and they carried a considerable amount of gold and silver for the temple. There were lots of potential troubles and dangers on the way. Accidents, robbers, wild animals and they would, would have needed to carry along of, a, a lot of food and drink for all the people and the animals and money to buy more on the way. Also warm clothing and tents for shelter from the winter, which could be quite, quite rough in that part of the world as they were leaving in the fall and traveling in the winter as they went north. 
No wonder they prayed for a straight journey, a safe journey. Straight can mean safe. That's something we can learn from. Yes, we have some sense of praying for a safe or straight journey when we're about to make a long trip through Canada or to another country by plane. And then you think of what could go wrong. But also for, that also counts for shorter trips, for instance, when you travel to Toronto. But also daily travels to work or school or so. Lord, give us safe travels today. And then, of course, you'll also give thanks at the end of the day. Thank you for keeping us, keeping our lives and our travels. Or do do you just assume that you'll arrive safely and neglect to pray about your comings and goings? Because then you don't know what real thankfulness is to the Lord anymore. We have to remember that our Savior was deprived of friends and food and drink and clothing and a straight way on that Good Friday in Jerusalem so that we today can ask for and be thankful for the provisions and the safety in our travels that we enjoy from day to day. That all comes through him. He paid for it with his deprivation and blood. The straight journey that Ezra and those returning Jews prayed for at the riverside has a different connotation too besides safe. Straight in the Old Testament also means righteous, upright, and that's implied by the right journey in the New King James Version then. The same word, by the way, is used in Proverbs 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. He who is straight is is the literal translation. Straight in the way, upright. means righteous, upright. So those people at the river, they were also praying to the Lord that he keep them upright in their journey on the way to Jerusalem and faithful then in their purpose to revive the worship of the Lord there, not letting anything distract them from their goal of reaching Jerusalem. And that prayer was necessary, as we mentioned, because so many things could happen on the way to Jerusalem. Things could happen which would make them question, why in the world am I making this journey after all? Look at look what's happening to me. Think of the Israelites traveling through the Iraq and Syrian deserts to get to their holy city. How, remember how often they had complained and murmured against God on the way through the wilderness during the exodus after they came out of Egypt on the way to the promised land, how often hadn't they murmured, why didn't we stay in Egypt? We had a lot better there in Egypt. See, those Jews at the Ahava River would most likely run into a lot of difficult situations on the way to Jerusalem, and they could lose their courage and their focus as they were traveling. They were attacked by robbers or so, Or maybe they could come across a very lush oasis and decide, hey, why why don't we just stay here? It's a lot nicer here. Congregation, as we begin a new year, it's good to realize that as Christians, we're also on this journey to the new Jerusalem. And it could be that we lose courage to keep traveling to our destination too. Too many difficult situations in my life if I, I keep faith as the most important thing in my life. 
if I keep traveling towards the new Jerusalem. It could be that on the way we fall in love with our good status in this world, that we love this world, Babylon, more than the kingdom of God and his promises. That's possible. Satan will do everything he can to distract us or discourage us from leaving the present Babylon behind and continuing on our way through this life toward the new Jerusalem. Be aware of that. And therefore, this is a prayer that should be on our lips every day in the new year too. Lord God, give us a straight way. Keep our hearts and lives focused on your kingdom and on the new Jerusalem. Don't let our struggles of faith or all the good things we have in this world distract us from going forward on that hard and narrow road toward life with you and Christ in glory. Keep our hearts set on the Jerusalem above. Congregation, if you know how glorious the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ are and how weak we are in ourselves, would you not pray that continually? Lord, make, make my journey straight. Give my children and grandchildren a safe journey, a straight journey to the new Jerusalem too. Oh, the younger generation can be met with so many dangers and distractions in the journey too, right? Doubts caused by relationships with non-believers or secular higher education or a heart set on possessions, getting the latest toys, materialism, or, or being drawn into the Babylonian way of thinking and lifestyle that's portrayed in all the movies and, and all the culture of today. Lord, give them a straight journey, my children and grandchildren. And the, the, a straight journey can be a detour, you know, as it was with those Jews in, in, in Ezra's time. Not the fastest, the most uh, desirable way. It wasn't Mrs. Google pointing you to the quickest way to get there. No, a rougher and tougher road through, through because you want to stay faithful to the Lord and his kingdom above everything else. Think of the money given for church and school which so, could so easily make your life a lot more pleasant and easy if you didn't give offer, offerings. Or think of breaking a love relationship because the other person doesn't share your faith. Or maybe dealing with same-sex attraction and remaining single because you know that's what the Lord wants of his children according to his word. We all need to keep praying that whatever difficult choices we face on the way, we always take the fork that leads to the new Jerusalem. This way, the biblical way, Lord, keep your eternal promise of full salvation and glory with you in our hearts and give us discernment as we navigate through this life toward the new Jerusalem. We come to the last part of the sermon how they prayed. So we saw who prayed, what they prayed, how they prayed. How did those people at the river pray? Well, notice that the text says that they humbled themselves before their God to seek from him the right way for them and their children. Humbled themselves. Not humbled. They submitted themselves completely to God. The expression to humble oneself is used more often in the Bible to indicate the submission of a slave to his master's will. In other words, our text means that 
Ezra and the Jews at the river submitted themselves completely to God and his will and his way. Lord, what you do is good. We want to follow you in this. And that's how we need to pray too as we make our way to the new Jerusalem in all humility, submission to God. Keep me in your way. Show me your way, Lord. Help me to follow that way. Because the Lord's not a hard master, right? In Christ, he gave himself completely for us in love to redeem us from the kingdom of Satan and death and to bring us into the kingdom of life and light. light. And he's even promised us his spirit to help us to be willing and ready to do his will. So the spirit shows us in the text that humble submission to the Lord is how they prayed. And that's what's needed for prayer for us too. Lord, I belong to you. You have the right to my whole life. It's a miracle that I'm here and allowed to serve you as my Lord and Master, that you, that you don't abandon me to the slavery of the devil and sin. It's a wonder that I can serve you. Tell me what to do, how to live for you, how to journey on in this life. Your will be done by me on earth as it is done by your angels in heaven. Praying humbly, you see, that means you don't try to get the Lord to do your will. Yes, you can let him know your wishes and your cares, but ultimately the goal of your prayer cannot be that the Lord does your will, but that you do his will. You make yourself available to him then to do what he requires in his word and commandments. Prayer without that kind of humility isn't going to be heard by God. I can tell you that right now. That's what we confess, Lord's Day 45. It's asked there, what belongs to a prayer that pleases God and is heard by him? And the second part of the answer is, there's a first and then there's a second part. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. So humility is how they prayed in humility and how we ought to pray. And notice that at the beginning of our text, Ezra also mentions that he proclaimed a fast at the river there, a fast. Fasting is not eating or drinking as one normally does for a time. You put all that away, not with the goal of losing weight or raising money for a cause. Maybe okay to fast for those reasons too, but no, the fasting that Ezra proclaimed in the text was to help the people to truly humble themselves before God and to come to a more focused state of mind when they prayed for that straight journey. Not distracted by food preparation or consumption because you know that took a lot of time and effort and concentration in those days with all the laws of clean and unclean and so. But focused and that, that's actually the meaning of that fasting for us today too. That we do things to minimize the distraction from our prayer and our humility before God. That means refuse to be distracted by our phones or by television or anything else when you're going to pray. Also with, don't let yourselves be distracted by minds cluttered with things we're about to do or or with thoughts about work or so. You're already making plans about this and 
And you have to put that aside. Focus. Good to take time to put aside those other things mentally when you're going to approach God's throne of grace to ask him for strength or help for the day. Switching off the television for a while beforehand, not looking at your friends at, on Facebook or WhatsApp for five minutes or so before you pray, taking time to read, quietly read part of the Bible beforehand. That is very helpful. Prayer takes time and concentration. It's not something you just do quickly before getting on with your activities in life. Of course, it's possible to pray in your mind for wisdom while you're driving or walking somewhere, but normally prayer is not something a Christian wants to get over with as quickly as he can in order to get on with the business of the day. Just imagine that you're praying for one of your children or a friend for their repentance from an ungodly lifestyle, but in the meantime you think, well, I need to hurry up because I I don't want to miss the news or I have to be brief because I have to text my friend about what I did this morning. What is God supposed to think then? That you consider the news or your friend's message more important than the repentance of your child or your friend? Are you really praying then? See, congregation, fasting. Fasting is a means to come to real humility before the God of your salvation. God, you are all. And that's how I'm going to approach you, that you're my all. In order to submit to him, let his will be all. And so come to true heartfelt prayer for a straight journey for you and your children as you make your way as people redeemed by Christ from Babylon toward the new Jerusalem. And you'll notice what the effect of that kind of prayer is later on in Ezra 8. It says there, and the hand of our God was on us. He delivered us from our enemies and ambushes by the way. And we came to Jerusalem. They arrived in Jerusalem. So let's pray like those brothers and sisters of long ago did. Also, in the new year, how many times will you bow your head in prayer? Think about it. And then you can trust that the hand of your God will be with you too. And you'll arrive safe and sound in the new Jerusalem. Amen.